This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, suggested we watch the 1984 movie Starman. But since it's still February and we're going with our theme of this year's Oscar nominees for Best Picture, we are going to watch The Shape of Water instead. Hello, and welcome to Cinematic Respect. I'm Charlie Wallace, and I'm your first co-host... And I'm Carl Hulse, who's the sub-co-host. The sub-co-host? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guest co-host. The guest, sure. Whatever. No I don't know. co-host. Carl. Yeah, no, because I probably, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I think it'll be just fine. Uh, so it's still February, and we are taking this opportunity to review some of the Best Picture nominees from 2017. Um Last time we did Lady Bird, and this time we're getting into, I think it's the most nominated picture, not just for Best Picture, but all the other Oscar nominations this year with... 13 nominations. 13 <laughs> nominations, yep. It's The Shape of Water, and it's nominated for it's nominated for Best Picture, Sally Hawkins for Best Actress, Richard Jenkins for Best Supporting Actor, Octavia Spencer for Best Supporting Actress... Guillermo del Toro for Best Director, uh, the Best Original Musical Score, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Costume Design, Best Sound Mixing, Best Production Design, and Best Sound Editing. So I took our guests to see the movie last night, but uh, noticeably absent was our guest co-host, Cara. Yeah, we we saw this like... How long ago was that? Um, A month ago? Uh, probably a month ago. Yeah, probably about so, a month ago. Yeah. I didn't want to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a little preview of what her yeah. thoughts about the movie might be. <laughs> yeah. But uh, our guests today are actually our first guests from way back in, I want to say April of last year. Uh, Almost a year. Welcome, Adam and Allie. Hello. Glad to be back. Yeah. So you had not seen The Shape of Water and now you have. We took a took a trip to the theater, which I always enjoy. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I always enjoy a good trip to the theater. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and had you seen any of the other Best Picture nominees this year? We both saw Get Out, which was uh, really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was a good Halloween film, but also a little something more. So what did you two think maybe this movie was going to be about? Had you read up much about it? I went in pretty cold. I started to read a plot synopsis and saw something about a sea monster. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stop because I feel like that might be a reveal. But it shows up pretty early in the movie. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> other than that, I went in cold. Yeah, I did too. Did not watch even a preview. Um, read a short synopsis when I was hunting for movie times and saw mention of the word sci-fi plopped in there and some green colored imagery on Google image. But other than that, nothing. Yeah, this movie falls under a lot of different categories, I guess, genre-wise. It's like a sci-fi, it's like a... Romance. Romance, yeah. Creature feature, yeah. Commentary sort of. anyway. on race and, I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. got some of that too, yeah. So the film is set in the 1960s, and Sally Hawkins plays Eliza, a cleaning woman who works at a secret government facility, which has recently obtained an asset, which turns out to be... Uh, an amphibian person who was found in South America and brought in by a G-man named Strickland, played by Michael Shannon, who is an extremely cruel human being. Eliza eventually manages to make contact with this amphibian man, falls in love, and with the help of her friend Zelda, played by Octavia Spencer, her artist-slash-neighbor, played by Richard Jenkins, and a Russian double agent, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, manages to break that amphibian man out and she attempts to set him free and the credits he's called an amphibian man so i don't know for the rest of the episode we should start referring to him as an amphibian man rather than a creature or a monster that, that was the debate we had right after watching the movie like how do we refer to him is he just the asset that seems a little like unpersonal yeah you know and i was like merman should i call him a merman i don't i don't I, oh. I kind of like Merman, but I mean, I guess he didn't have the like fishy tail. Yeah, so that's the only legs. word I had for it. <laughs> so, yeah, so hard to say. I think for the sake of the podcast, we can refer to him as anything. But I didn't think that the movie would make me ask those questions of myself. <laughs> so, um, I guess, what were your first impressions of of the Amphibia Man himself? It take doesn't take too long for him to show up. 
in full form on screen. Maybe 15 minutes or so? I don't know. He seemed pretty feral, but I don't know if feral is the right word for something that's, like, <laughs> amphibious. Like, what's do you use the word feral for, like, a like a turtle that's, you know, been captured? <laughs> I, think a feral. Feral turtle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's got to be a better word. But, yeah, I mean, pretty untamed. There were a few moments of suspense when he comes in in the tank and you see the hand come up the top and then you know you hear things from the closed doors where they're doing their research but after that i think his any sort of malevolent or violent tendencies that you think he might have i feel like that that is pushed aside after he starts to engage with eliza yeah totally agree so that is one interesting thing about the movie too is there's not like you said there's not a lot of time period where we're led to believe that maybe this is a dangerous creature. I mean, right away, she's communicating with him, which I thought was kind of an interesting point. It's like, all right. So part of whether you can get on board with this movie or not, I think, is whether you can believe quickly that this amphibian man is, I guess, has equivalent capabilities of a human. Yeah. Like, do you think that's portrayed very well? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I I guess that was my big problem with the movie, just because it's like, what was there to actually show like, okay, his intelligence, it's up there, like, to the point where, she, you know, she can engage in relationships with him, you know? Right. I mean, he learned sign language uh, a bit, but, But you, you kind of want, he could have been just copying, though, you know? Yeah. Like... <laughs> What would Jane Goodall have to say about this? I feel like she'd be the only expert we could consult. But the thing I thought about it this time around watching it was if I were in that situation, how well would I have done? Like if I was the creature, do you think, or if you were the creature, do you think you'd be able to pick up on sign language that quickly? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty instantaneous, but it could he be knows what an egg is. So Sally Hawkins boils eggs at home and puts them on the edge of his tank. And the amphibian man comes up almost immediately and she shares that with him. But then before she gives it to him, she does a little sign that says like, hey, this means egg in sign language. And he almost immediately signs that back. But to it her. could be like almost like a, a simple like teaching, like, OK, you do this thing. And this. I don't know if he actually comprehended. Maybe he's like, oh, I have to do this. For this, I don't know. Right, but how long does it take animals to get that? Like, it first depends try? on what type of animal. I, I feel guess. like we do need to call Jane Goodall in. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> because there is some allusion to the fact that he is from South America and has been interacting with the peoples down there, and they treat him like a god. So maybe he has relationships or has interacted with humans before, and he already knows how to approach them. Mm-hmm. He's observed them. He's comfortable with them because clearly he is aware of Eliza and looks to her and is receptive to everything that he sees from her. So mm-hmm. so I talked with Kara immediately after we saw this movie the first time. And I think that was part of your problem with it overall, right? Was that you didn't know if they had to demonstrated well enough that this creature was and i I guess that's like that's not really the point of the movie you know (laughs) but at the same time it's like i mean it's the job of the screenplay and the director to demonstrate those things right so if it doesn't hasn't been demonstrated to yeah because that's the thing it's like is she taking advantage of this creature so that was my big thing because afterwards it's like, well, you know, because there's still like a whole like other species thing going on. And it's like, uh, the, if you get past that yuck factor and just look at him, it's like, oh, he's this intelligent being. And, he, you know, but did they prove that? Like, is like the whole is movie she... hinges on you being able to make that leap? So if there was one additional scene where like they were having like a sign language conversation at the side of the tub. Would if that, it was like, like complete, like maybe if there was like grammar and everything too, and like actually showing instead of just like doing one little sign for one little thing, just you co- know, and copying generally. instead of just copying, yeah. yeah. Maybe three quarters of the way through the movie, there is a scene where he does say something to her in sign language, something about being together, but I don't know if that. But didn't she just do that too? Like at one point, I don't know. Yeah, I think the one example that comes to mind was towards the end of the movie when he was about to jump in the canal and he made the sign for it together and then she said no separate and strickland shows up and you know there's the whole like climactic showdown yeah i mean i think that's the only time that i can think of off the top of my head I'm, there are probably yeah. other things where like he actually kind of showed it, like it was yeah preemptive it wasn't 
mimicry. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Amphibian Man and Eliza spent a lot more time together on lunch breaks <laughs> and in the tub at the apartment than we saw on screen. And I think yeah. only the deleted scenes <laughs> will ever let us know Can't what may have happened there. Yeah. Yeah. The DVD, Directors. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but I guess, like, let's just go then with, like, okay, yeah, he's intelligent. It's all right that they were doing it. Um. <laughs> okay. like, so I, I don't think we pointed this out in the synopsis, but I mean, it's bound to come up eventually. There's definitely a sex scene between Sally Hawkins and the amphibian man, which is presented in a very romantic way, right? A sort of natural way in that you're supposed to believe that. And everyone didn't make a big deal about it either. Like, right, none. Was it, are we going with Giles? Yeah, I can't remember what it, it says Giles in the movie, Giles, so I think in Giles. honor of Buffy, we're going to have to call him Giles. Okay. But like when he came in, he was almost like, all right, yeah, you go, girl. And even <laughs> Zelda picked up on her smiles yeah. at work. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eliza's like just pushing her cart down the hallway, grinning from ear to ear. You know? And she's kind of asking like, how? And yeah. there, there was a she good... didn't even have to ask who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the hand gesture for the how was... Uh... I think one of the funnier moments of the movie. <laughs> and just like Octavia Spencer's like, yeah, just like a smile and a nod. and <laughs> Never trust a man, I think is what she's saying. Yeah. <laughs> Something about it being flat down there. <laughs> Gosh. There were a lot of really good lines in this movie. Yeah. yeah. So what did you think of the actual design of the amphibian man? I don't know, compared to, say, other movies that Guillermo del Toro has produced. Um, I mean, I think it was in line with his other creature designs, and it obviously borrowed a lot from Creature of, from the Black Lagoon. the The sound was really good. I, I think the the way they uh, when he would like screech and roar, like there was like a, a low end and like a really high pitched noise as well. That was very like you know you know uncomfortable sounding. That was uh, really well executed. Yeah, I the resemblance to the creature from the Black Lagoon is striking. I had no idea, you know, I had vague memories of what that creature looked like and seeing them side by side now in my mind. It's kind of crazy. I guess I never saw that movie either. Like, did you guys see it? I haven't actually. No, that's one that's yeah. Yeah. On my list eventually. Eventually. You saw Hellboy and Hellboy 2, right? Mm -hmm. The he has a underwater sea creature in that one. Remember well, which? Like oh the yeah, detective the detective guy who lives in the yeah. tank. Yeah, I was gonna say they look kind of similar to that. Yeah, like, so it's not. Yeah, it's not. He was intelligent. He was intelligent. Yes, but, yes. But <laughs> definitely spoke English. <laughs> yeah, and was the I most mean, intelligent being in the room. I, I would, um, you know, if this creature all of a sudden like started speaking English and everything, I would feel. So that's the about bar it. for you, is that? <laughs> oh no, if they speak fluent English. Then... <laughs> <laughs> All uh, systems go, right? <laughs> right. You're speaking English. Let's, 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 get, let's get on it. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really, I mean, I thought it was great, though. Like, all of the, especially the glowing skin. I thought that was kind of a nice touch, too. Like, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty. Guess, yeah. It's. I think it's supposed to be something somewhat awe-inspiring, but also something that you can feel kind of familiar with. I think if it was something that was way out there, it wouldn't have worked. I mean, depending on whether you think it worked to begin with, but if you're supposed to think, oh, this is something that uh, someone can have a relationship with, you don't want it to be like crazy with antlers or... Yeah, it, it's I don't know. Like, I was just thinking of something weird. It's <laughs> like, Ant- like, yeah, antlers are weird. Like... It reminded me a lot of Pan's Labyrinth, uh, but more grounded, I guess. Mm-hmm. He wasn't as like fantastical as some of the creatures that showed up in Pan's Labyrinth. But you know, it's a little off topic, but you know, I definitely saw a lot of parallels with that movie, uh, with you know the the female lead with like the CGI counterpart that's you know a little little spooky, and then villain that really doesn't have anything redeeming about him and oh, the, yeah. Yeah. The, the occasional like bursts of of gore and uh i think they both had like a scene where somebody gets hooked in the mouth in a d- different oh, way oh yeah <laughs> um it's a fun common theme to have between your movies <laughs> yeah yeah it must be something with guillermo del toro psyche that, uh, <laughs> we all got a window into there but, uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think this one had a happier ending than 
Pan's Labyrinth, and it was a lot more personal, you know, and less less of the fan, fantastic elements. It all felt very outside of like that one musical sequence that was towards the later mm-hmm. later part of the movie, which was interesting. What did you guys, yeah, what did you guys think of that? My first impression was that, you know, this feels a little out of place, and then I was like, well, I kind of like it, though. Like, so, <laughs> it, it was kind of a, an interesting window into her sort of thought process, and, you know, she was obviously inspired by the movies and performances that she would watch with Giles in the early part of the movie when they were watching, like, the tap dancing up the stairs and all that. Yeah, it just speaks, I thought it just spoke to the different modes of expression that she had because she couldn't speak. She would tap dance up and down the hall or she would dance with her mop at work or, you know, feasibly sing and dance with her amphibian man. Yeah, it it basically, I was, it, at first it did seem kind of out of place. And I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of, I don't want to say tacky. <laughs> like, what's the word I'm looking for, though? Just like... Hokey. Ho- yeah, hokey. Thank you. Um, But... But then it was, it's like after I was done, it's like, you know what? I kind I liked it. It was, <laughs> it was enjoyable. It was fun. So, one of the fun things about this movie is that Guillermo del Toro is fairly upfront in the interviews he's had, especially after the movie's come out, about what he intended for a lot of different things. Uh, for instance, the design of the Amphibia Man, he said he wants something that looks, I guess, almost sexy or like mm. somebody who could be a leading man. I know. It's like, relatively Guillermo del Toro definitely has a passion for creating these monsters and he wanted to give one of these creatures an opportunity to be a leading man so that's how the creature was specifically designed which was interesting then that they took this scene and they turned it in black and white and had this sort of dance sequence that was like all of those old movies to say like okay well if you didn't get the point up until now like yes like she's the leading woman and he's the leading man and this is the romance story that's that's happening or that that they want to happen right this is kind of the cinematic world that they wish that they could be a part of but you can say that it succeeded to various extents right i mean whether you thought the monster was i mean okay it's not not a traditionally attractive thing right i'm not saying that we should all be attracted to this monster but he did uh, look I'm, like he'd been going to the gym. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like a six pack. Yeah. yeah. I'm imagining the casting call for that role like sexy fish man. <laughs> <laughs> but there were a lot of references to those old movies, too. I mean, not just mm-hmm. in the television, but there's that theater that's immediately below them. Two very specific movies that we're playing that you got to see on screen, and then the monster connects to those movies, and yeah. the main character connects to those movies. And so, uh, and I haven't seen neither of those movies, so... I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't like, know who has. I had to look them up, because I had never seen those movies. I don't remember what Mardi Gras is about. I think that one is just, like, a fun, maybe, song and dance movie, but... The other one's a story of Ruth, which is a story about Ruth from the Bible, who, as an adult, meets a Hebrew and is and is intrigued by his religion, converts, and then he's eventually captured and persecuted, and she attempts to break him out of his bonds, I think, unsuccessfully. So, eh, there you go. It's kind yeah. of a sort There's of commentary a on the like the same story as the movie yeah. you're watching. Yeah, that's kind of on the nose. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And another play into like biblical biblical allusions, like the story of Delilah. That oh is yeah, that beat comes over up our too. Head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think when Strickland referred to the story of Delilah and Samson when talking to Eliza, that that was a really like good unsettling scene for like establishing creepiness. You know. Oh yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Strickland too as a character, uh, played by Michael Shannon. Um, so there are a lot of those uncomfortable scenes where he confronts Eliza and Zelda specifically. Yeah, maybe four or five times during the course of the movie, this sort of motif of him dominating over both of them and talking down to them and explaining what different words mean, even though they already know what they mean and telling this biblical story. So what were your thoughts on him as a character? I've heard people come down a little bit differently about whether they thought it was successful or not. He was a character that you could very easily hate and never want to root for, you know? I think he did a great job being totally evil. (laughs) Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, you know, he was consistently creepy and evil through entirety of the movie from the first scene where he walks in is like in the bathroom with the both of them and um you know i think you know his character 
kind of develops in the sense that he gets more and more unhinged after, you know, as his, like, fingers are dying and, you know. Gross. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. literally septic at the end. I mean, he's just yeah. poison through and through. Yeah, the amphibian man has either bitten or torn off a couple of his fingers towards the beginning of the movie. And while they're reattached, they gradually rot on his hand <laughs> the one scene with his wife and it just in her face and uh sorry <laughs> that's yeah yeah and, and then he makes his wife be quiet which is clearly like you know oh yeah referring oh, yeah. to eliza creepy yeah and i think he did a good job of coming across as unsettling every time he was on the screen like you know there are a lot of like scenes in the movie that like were like you know fun like seeing like the relationship between eliza and the amphibian man uh, developed, but then anytime he was on the screen, it was never comfortable, you know? Uh, and so that was really well executed, the acting and the, the framing of the scenes and the sort of ominous nature or vibe that you got whenever he was on screen. I mean, so one thing I, my mother was on the podcast and one thing she had mentioned was that nowadays villains tend to have a few more layers, right? Like, you get to a little bit of understanding of their background or why, why they might be the way that they are. Um, do you felt like that came across with with him or not? Or do you think it was even necessary other than just having this menacing character? I mean, I think they tried to give that a little bit, you know, when they showed the scene with him sitting at home with his family. But on the whole, I think it was, you know, he was pretty, pretty solidly on one side of the spectrum. And similar to like, you know, going back to the, the Pan's Labyrinth comparison, I think the villain in that movie, the... Capitan, you know, he's he was also like consistently bad through the entirety of the movie. So might be a trend in what in how Guillermo del Toro portrays villains. I don't know. About him being so awful. It made wanting to have, you know, that romantic, acceptable, enjoyable relationship between Eliza and the amphibian man. I think it made it more successful because you don't want to see someone treating someone so horribly physically manipulation, all the things that, that he did, you know, you don't want to see that in the way people treat each other. So to see that in the way that people treated someone that was human-like, but not quite human, I think it made it easier to buy into that and want that to succeed. Yeah. So maybe it's like that in Pan's Labyrinth. I don't know. I haven't seen that recently enough to remember. But while we're talking performances, Sally Hawkins, how do you think she did as the main character as Eliza? I think she did a good job standing her own. I mean, like, she was a very strong character. You definitely had a sense that she had a strong sense of self and who she was and what she wanted. You know, she had built up friendships with her neighbor and with her coworker, and she was obviously searching for something more. And I think we saw that fulfilled through the development of her character. Yeah, I think it would have been really easy to have a character that was really shy. And I guess you might misinterpret her as being that way simply because she's mute. But like, if you're really paying attention to anything that's going on, she's very direct. I love she's this. a force, you know? And when yeah. she's signing to Strickland, like that yes. is just, cl- oh, so oh. classic. I loved every minute of that. I was yeah. like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you say what's on your mind. And <laughs> he doesn't know a thing. Do you think it would have been better to cast somebody who actually was mute for that role? It's one complaint that I've seen is that maybe you could have hired somebody with the actual condition of being mute and wouldn't have changed the role that much. Although she does, you know, have the singing scene in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But Disney characters can also have singing parts that are sung by someone else. Yeah. Oh, that's Besides true. the voice acting. So yeah. that could have easily been overdubbed. No one would have known. One of the articles I had read was somebody saying, yeah, you know, maybe you could have hired somebody who was actually mute for this. And, you know, that whole scene where it's like her fantasizing about being able to sing, too. That's in a, a way that's kind of like ableist, right? Because like, oh, of course she wants to fantasize about being like everybody else. Like yeah. Maybe is that, you know, the message that we should be sending across that like she somehow this better version of herself when she can she can sing. But I think it's a really good point, you know, to have an actress in that role that was mute, I think would be a great opportunity for different actresses to fill a role that's meant perfectly for someone like that. So And so this is a little off topic. You know, related to like her muteness in the the film, like they show frequently show the scars on her neck, which come across kind of like gills almost like Mm -hmm. the way they're like located and i think that was obviously intentional but then they say that 
her vocal cords were damaged somehow, but what actually caused that damage? Yeah, they don't they don't address it specifically. We don't know what it is. So we don't know if, you know, it was some damage that was caused her or, you know, one of the large conceits of this movie is that maybe this is some fairy tale that the neighbor is telling, right? And that she's really this princess that I mean, did you get that? Well, like maybe at the it, end, he they even said, like, the princess of... Right, she's some princess that's somehow related to that type of being, so that they were always meant to be together, right? So either that, or, like, you take the realist view that, like, yeah, maybe she'd had her neck slashed in some way and her do- vocal cords damaged, or maybe she really is yeah, that's one the, of these, yeah. That's these. a similar vibe to, like, again, Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth. Like, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the magic- ambiguous, like... Yep, the, the magical realism with an ambiguous, like connection between real life and the, the magical side did either of you come down one way or the other about what you I, mean, I don't think in an ambiguous movie it's necessary that you come down on one side or the other but you were like oh yeah that, she definitely was a mer person <laughs> stuck in a human's body heck it know. could be i don't know <laughs> i don't know it's, well and that's the thing at the end like maybe like the whole scene where she's getting gills and stuff and all that maybe that actually didn't happen then and maybe she just droned like i mean you could <laughs> take that grim look at it too because it's like kind of you know the guy was kind of telling the story at the beginning i don't know maybe i'm just a really pessimistic person yeah and i'm thinking about the details of like his healing power and like i mean could he just continually supply oxygen to her like if he can heal like bullet wounds in a second can i mean can he just like provide oxygen through like but if they were really gills and she started to use them maybe she can breathe underwater now it was fate. I believe it. I want to buy the story. <laughs> I, I totally want this all to have a happy ending. And um, yeah, so I'll take that. <laughs> Perfect. Right. I feel so fulfilled after watching the film. <laughs> uh, Octavia Spencer, also who plays her her friend in the cleaning business at the secret government facility, nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this. Uh, I will admit myself that the first time I watched this, I didn't pay much attention to her... To her performance. So I was a little surprised when I had heard that she was nominated. But uh, so what did you guys think of her performance? I watched it a little bit more this time around. I, I think, it, you know, she was a good sort of foil to Eliza because she was, you know, she had a big personality. You know, she was funny and like very outgoing. And it was like a nice pairing between the, the two of them. It, she obviously like was also, you know, cared a lot for Eliza and like let her cut in line when doing the time cards repeatedly and yeah, i think sort of the, the contrast of like the you know vocal personality and then like the you know eliza being mute was a uh, an interesting combination but they were both very like strong-willed and you could see yeah. them like you know butt heads when they disagreed like when the monster was in the laundry cart i, I liked her performance a lot i she did a good job of like balancing I mean, that's a great point, because I think that's what I noticed the second time around that I didn't notice the first time around like you did, was that that's why her performance is strong in this, is that she provides that role that if it wasn't there, like if you took that and plucked that out, it would be a much darker movie. But it's one of those things, too, where sometimes when somebody's doing a great job at acting, you don't necessarily notice like a supporting role. You might not notice as much as like a lead role about what people are actually doing. I also thought it was interesting. Um, I saw Hidden Figures not too long ago, and Octavia Spencer plays another very strong-willed, independent woman trying to make her way in NASA with research and science. And, Mm -hmm. you know, here she is again in a research facility, only this time she's not involved. She's just cleaning. And seeing her in a similar setting, but a very different role with different characters and different struggles, I thought was really interesting that that she's had two roles that are in some ways Mm -hmm. paralleled that way. Uh, I think she had said something along the lines of she would take any role that Guillermo del Toro gave her. (laughs) 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 That's why she agreed to do this. She's like, it could have been anything and she would have been on board for it. So (laughs) Um, another person who was nominated was uh, Richard Jenkins for the neighbor Giles, who's an artist who lives next door, who is gay, and what did you all think of? Do you oh, think he it did was, a, Do you think it was okay, or do yeah, you think it did no, a great I job? Yeah, no, I thought or? he was he was fun. I liked seeing the relationship of the two neighbors because at first you didn't know there was there's an age difference between the two of them, but obviously she cared for him, came in, dropped off some food before going to work, so you didn't know what their relationship really was, and that question kind of came up a little bit later. You know, like, what what are we? What is this? Like, are you going to help me um, get the creature? You know, back 
someplace safe? Uh, do you believe is this story that I'm telling you from work believable? And, um, you know, his struggles with dealing with that. And then, you know, ultimately, you come to find out, you know, that they're not an item. But at the same time, they have like a very dependent relationship on one another, like, you know, being just neighbors, but also helping each other with uh, getting the amphibian man where he needs to be. You know, at the time period of the movie, you know, in the 60s, you know, his sexuality was very taboo. And the fact that he was very supportive of, I think that might have played into the fact that of, you know, him being supportive of a non-traditional sort of um, affection that Eliza and the, the creature had. But Yeah, we see him earlier in the film actively shut out conflict. Like there's the scene where you see, um, there's the scene where there are protests going on where police are turning ho- fire hoses on people and he wants that to be turned off. Like he doesn't want to pay attention to it and he doesn't really want to pay attention to what's going on with work with Eliza. Like he doesn't believe her at first, but even when he does start to believe her a little bit, he doesn't want to get involved. Like he thinks it's not his problem until like that exact scene where he puts himself out there and gets rejected. Mm -hmm. And then it's immediately the next cut. It's not like there's any scenes in between that. Immediately he goes from there to coming back and talking with her saying, you know, like you're the only friend I have and of course I'm going to help you. So so yeah, I think that him being kind of an outsider in that respect or helped him come to the realization of what he felt like he needed to do for her. Um and again, Del Toro being who he is has talked a lot about this too. He said basically that's the theme of the movie is that there are these different people who are considered, you know, the other or outsiders that this is one of the reasons why you know, when they find out that she has this romantic relationship with this amphibian person that they're not judgmental of her immediately. It's because they understand what it's like to not to not be Strickland, right? <laughs> to not be mm-hmm. like the huge, powerful white guy in the middle of this movie. Yeah, um, with a suburban family. And with a suburban with family. With two yeah. kids and, yeah. <laughs> and a new car. And a new car. New car and, yeah. yeah. Cadillac. So, yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of parallels there. And, um I guess that makes me feel really bad, too, that I was just, like, coming out of it and just, like, feeling like, ugh, they can't be together just because, again, the whole species <laughs> thing. So, so so then as soon as we start reading that, it's like, oh, man, am I a terrible person now that I don't no, but... want this love to be? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Part, yeah. But no, I guess I'm a terrible person. <laughs> but even at the time, like, we came out of the movie, we started yeah. talking about it. It was, like, right away, I was like, yeah, like, you know, the, the, there could have been like this visceral like disgust if, you know, the, if you're like a Strickland person and seeing like, you know, two guys together or, you know. To some extent, it's intentional. To make like, you feel uncomfortable. Yes, that you're supposed to feel somewhat uncomfortable with her being with this amphibian man because that helps you kind of realize I need to start thinking about what my attitudes are towards this relationship and try to move past it at least that's what i thought because i didn't actually disagree with you when we walked out i'm like yeah a a lady with a mer person is kind of weird right (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i and i get where he's going with the thing like he's taking it to this extreme and everything i don't know but again i always just come back to the whole if she's taking advantage of him because i (laughs) feel bad for this little critter then that came (laughs) 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 anyway I guess that's kind of, yeah, demeaning to call him a critter, but. (laughs) Yeah, this is the other thing that's been, I've been going back and forth in my mind about. It's like, well, but it's not, it's not a real thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantasy movie. We don't have to be like really deferential to it necessarily, but, (laughs) but I guess I could also see how if you were part of one of these other groups, like if you were gay or Mm -hmm. if you're black or if you're disabled, like. Saying like, well, now you're comparing me to a fish person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? That yeah. could actually potentially be somewhat offensive. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it works. Like, I understand what he's trying to say. I think as a whole, it kind of works. But then I start to think about these things and it's a little bit more yeah. <laughs> complex than it seems on the surface. It was a very pretty movie. <laughs> yes, it was very pretty. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot of different color themes Throughout the Murray, the movie, there's a lot of like blues and aquas. Uh, there are a few very specific scenes with red, bright red, and a lot of almost kind of neon, unnatural greens throughout it too. And I think you had mentioned that when you came out of the movie, right, Adam? Yeah, yeah. I think the green represents lime. 
Could the red be cherry? It could be. Strawberry? Yeah. Or raspberry, even. Could be. Ooh. Yeah, I, uh, back to Del Toro telling us exactly what he means by things. He actually had a tweet where somebody asked him, like, oh, I wish I knew what all the different colors meant in this movie. And then he just tweeted back what each of the colors meant. I don't know. A lot of artists definitely don't do things like that. And they're like, you figure it out yourself or... Pretending like they didn't have any meaning. That kind of makes me think of um, some kid as a school project wrote a bunch of letters to famous authors and asked them about the symbolism in their books. Like, do you intentionally include symbolism or does it just come up? And uh, a lot of the authors actually responded and um, there were wildly different opinions. Like, (laughs) some were like, yeah, I totally put that in the book as a symbol for this or that. And others were like... You know, whatever conclusions you draw are your own, and it just sort of all of these things arose as a part of the writing process organically, and this and that. And like, it's interesting insight to see that you know he was very deliberate about his choices of color, and the fact that he's so open about it is is kind of kind of cool. So his his tweet was color coding chart and in shape of water, Eliza's world colon cyan and blue underwater, everyone else's homes, Giles, Zelda, and Strickland in goldens, ambers, and warm colors, and then in parentheses day slash air red for cinema life and love green everything about the future hmm. pies car lab uniforms gelatin etc so huh. yeah green yeah i don't know the future. future one especially was kind of con- not confusing to me but a little bit different than i had been thinking about it and the guy was supposed to do uh an ad campaign for jello and then it, he made it green and it was supposed to be red right no, he made it he made red. red he made it red first. and it was supposed to be green okay so because wait, so, what was red? Red was um, cinema, life, and love. Mm. So, maybe so he painted the Jello red because he, loves he lives. Working? He lives above a theater. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> <laughs> Saw the blood on the floor in the research room with the amphibian man. It was love. Was that love? <laughs> yeah. That's was love that life? Was that <laughs> cinema? <laughs> I guess maybe this isn't as easy as I thought it would be, even with the chart. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think another big scene that jumps out with respect to color is the song and dance routine, which we talked about Oh, right, which turned black and white. Yeah, which, I don't know. I mean, black and white must just be like a fantasy world, you know? Yeah, I think sort of fantasy, idealized, like cinema sort of world that maybe that they want to be a part of and can't be a part of or hadn't been represented in or... Wait, now that I think back to it, in the scene when he's buying the car, does the salesman explicitly say, like, green is the future? Or teal is the future? He says something about the future in yeah. close proximity to the color of the car, so... Oh, yeah. Funny. yeah. So, let's see. Yeah, there's the car, there's the jello, those candies that he eats, that Strickland eats, and is always chomping on, are green. Um... The horrible tasting pies are green. Yeah, those didn't look like key lime pies at all. It just looked like looked green like jello. jello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, in the 60s, they really tried to shoehorn jello into a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, I saw a cookbook from the 60s where they did these, like, savory jello molds where they'd put, like, meat inside of jello. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I'll try to find a link for it. And <laughs> it to you. But. One other character I just haven't completely mentioned at all yet was... Bob? Are we going to talk about Bob? Was it Bob? Was that his name? Bob from Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. I almost lost it when that happened. The last time that happened to me in a movie was when we were watching Jurassic World and they were going to the Madison airport and I was like, oh my goodness, we've made it big in Hollywood. (laughs) Everybody in the theater laughed. Yeah. And then here it is again tonight. Yep. (laughs) Wisconsin. Uh, So Michael Stuhlbarg plays... Bob, who is actually a Russian agent uh, sent to do all sorts of probably sabotage in this secret facility, but is eventually tasked with just destroying the amphibian man rather than trying to capture him in some way. Because I guess the Russians would rather just destroy American intelligence rather than try to steal it at this point. Michael Stuhlbarg, I think, is in three of the best picture. What other ones is he in? He's in Call Me By Your Name. He was in The Post as well. I thought his, so of all the performances that I was watching again this time, I thought his was kind of the the one that I gained the most, the most respect for. Because like, you start to look at the things that he's doing in the background, even before it's revealed that he is a Russian agent, 
he's a Russian agent pretending to be an American scientist, but he's very sympathetic towards everyone. Like he understands everyone and actually doesn't do what his handlers tell him to do. Like he actually wants the creature to escape. But it was even really interesting to see the things that he did in the background this time. Like once he realized that the amphibian man liked eggs, he actually started to feed him eggs. If you look in the background, he like brought these big carts of eggs or um, when Eliza and Zelda were complaining about people throwing their stuff on the floor and like having to clean up after it, he folds up his coat or whatever and hands it to her. So like he's actually paying attention to everybody. But um, I guess I didn't notice that at all. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't. Not not until this time I looked at it too. It's because. And he notices Eliza's in the back of the room at one point and doesn't say anything, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the thing. I think with so many wonderful performances in one movie, it's hard the first time just to pick up on almost Mm -hmm. anything other than like Sally Hawkins and then the creature, right? That's like basically what I picked up on the first time. And then the second time I went through and I was trying to watch a little bit more of the rest of what was going on. Yeah, one thing I really liked about his character was that, you know, he was kind of ambiguous through a good chunk of the movie, right? He was like this... You know, the the Russian spy that was tasked with killing the monster, but then helps out, you know, Eliza. But, like, you don't know that he's going to do that. You know, you you know we don't know um, that he's not going to actually try to poison the creatures that, you know, they're escaping. And, um, you know, I think he, he did a good job of playing that role ambiguously. Because, like, as a character, you know, he kind of had to do that as well. You know, he, he was a spy. He was supposed to, like, put on a per- certain persona and, um, you know, come across and... And ultimately, you know, he turns out to be a good guy because he helped out the protagonists and, and what have you. But it wasn't clear through a lot of the movie. And I, I, I feel like that was uh, it was a nice sort of complexity to that that role. And eventually he I think he's actually shot by his Russian handlers, but then is tortured <laughs> by Strickland at the end. And that's something I had forgotten, too, from the first time I watched it. It's like that was really sad, realizing that that's the last scene that we're going to see him in. Whereas everybody else could, at least at least in our imagination, <laughs> go off into the sunset, at least okay. Like, we know that he's uh, he's pretty much gone. Yeah, he and Strickland were the main deaths, besides the one security guard that was killed by, oh, yeah. uh, by Dimitri or, yeah. or Bob. Bob. Yeah. So he, he was uh, the only other character in the movie with blood on their head. Yeah, that was weird, too. Yeah, he just goes up behind the guy and or behind the security guard and kills him for somebody who's so understanding and sympathetic and trying to help the creature get out of this facility. He doesn't seem to have a problem just straight up murdering the military police. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The guy just doing his job. Poor guy. I don't know. I thought that was a little (laughs) bit weird. Yeah. I I guess that's what you do. I mean, neither of that wasn't a sedative, right? That was, no, that was lethal. That was supposed to kill the creature. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know if that's inconsistent or maybe just... He was still a spy, right? Yeah, I guess he was still a spy. I mean, he was trained to do those sorts of things. So. All right, you know, it sort of took the took place of his uh, accomplishing his mission, right? Or, you know, helping the creature escape. So, as far as... So, based on other Best Picture winners that you've seen in the past, do you think this is something that feels like it could be a Best Picture winner? Again, we haven't all seen all of the nominees for this year for sure so who's to say whether it's going to win this year but i think in terms of movies uh some of the other ones that were on the list for this year um and crap i don't even remember what the shape of water was rated but i feel like it was a pretty accessible film like it wasn't super heavy it wasn't historical mm-hmm. based nonfiction. it wasn't anything that was so um dense that a person couldn't just go and enjoy it yeah so and hearing a couple of the past winners, I know that they had some pretty heavy and dark themes. And while that's wonderful and, you know, movies should be awarded for what they do well, I think this one is unique in that that list that I have in my head, that very short list of important <laughs> award-winning films um, to where I think it would be a good addition. So I could, I could see, it, uh, see it being a winner. Um, uh, let me give you some context. Let me read backwards. <sighs> Moonlight, Spotlight, Birdman, 12 Years a Slave, Argo, The Artist, The King's Speech, The Hurt Locker, <laughs> Slumdog Millionaire, No Country for Old Men, The Departed, Crash, Million Dollar Baby, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Chicago, Beautiful Mind, Gladiator, American Beauty, Shakespeare in Love. So uh, now as I'm reading this list, I mean, all right. So I I, I want to throw out the caveat. Like, yeah, I know Best Picture at the Oscars doesn't necessarily mean it's the best 
the best picture of that year or even that it's necessarily the a fantastic picture you could hear as i kind of sighed as i read a couple of those <laughs> but the question still stands well and i think Guillermo has a really good like for directing too like it was it was a very pretty movie and and he won the golden globe which i still who was who was up there natalie partman was it oh yep she made this comment because she was there's all the the whole time's up movement and everything and there was the comment okay now it's time for the best director and she said which is all men or something like that yeah here are your all male nominees. Uh, you're, uh, yes you're all male nominees and then the very first cut was like to guillermo because he was the first one <laughs> like it's like how awkward would that be because it's like so, oh yeah, yeah he, he's so sheepish yeah it's <laughs> like, like oh, him, sorry he's like yep <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here because they put my name on a yeah. list. <laughs> but he won, so and he, yeah. and he. I don't know. I thought it was a very good-looking movie. Yeah, um, you know, I'm looking through some of the other winners, and I think it's a better movie than Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. See, that's what I was thinking as I was reading through the list too. Is like, yeah, there's a lot of other movies on here that uh, I definitely put it above. Yeah, I, I haven't seen in any of the other nominees besides Get Out. And I, I think there were very different movies, and it's it's tough to like put one above the other. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of what traditionally wins, I would say that Shape of Water has a better shot between the two. But in terms of like the impact of the movie, I, th- I think I would put Get Out higher. I want a horror movie to yeah. win. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I think the last one was like Silence of the Lambs or something. Like, yeah, oh, which was a great movie. Wow, yeah. that's been a while. It's then. been a it's been a while. <laughs> I uh. I personally think it's gonna win. Like I, it's not my favorite of the ones on the list, but I think it. Yeah. What is your favorite of the ones on the list? Uh, so the ones I've seen, Phantom Thread was my favorite. But so I, I've got like different lists. There's like <laughs> who I think is gonna win, which is Shape of Water, and like what I thought was the best movie, which was Phantom Thread, and then what I want to win, <laughs> which is Get Out. I want yeah. Get Out to win. <laughs> it's like even if I voted, I might be like struggling between like what I thought was technically the best movie and like what I want to win, which right. is part of, I guess part of the voting process too, is they're like vote for who you want to vote for. Like you don't have to have these crazy criteria about this one was technically flawless. Therefore I have to vote for it. Right. I don't know. And it's yeah, definitely above. I'd say it's above Titanic. I'd say it's above crash. So, <laughs> so much. It's above crash. <laughs> so you guys, yay or nay. I would say yay. I had a great time. I really enjoyed the film. It was beautiful. It was funny. It was thought-provoking and uh, at times racy. So it all the races, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I would concur. I uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I'd give it a yay. Again, like I mentioned it earlier, the, the thing that stuck out the most to me were, was like the similarity with uh, Pan's Labyrinth, but it was an interesting you know, take on it that was a bit more grounded and... Um, a bit more personal. I'd give it an eh. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was fun. Yeah, but again, I still come back to that whole thing because I'm weird. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Yes, I would recommend it. Not you know, not my pick for best movie of the year, but it's just a lot to like, and it's fun. It's fun, you know. As you were like you were saying, Allie, there's just a lot of funny parts and fun stuff for something that really has such a serious theme. And I think Guillermo del Toro does a good job of that here it's just enjoy it's enjoyable in a way that a lot of like quote unquote good movies aren't always right they don't always know when to take themselves seriously and not to take themselves seriously but um so yes adam alley thank you for being on the show now that you have watched something that we thought you should see what is something that you think the rest of the world should see what's something you recommend gosh this is so hard um you know, sticking with with fantasy, something that I saw somewhat recently, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that scratches a similar fantasy vibe where there's a little bit of that. This could be real, maybe, but, you know, there's an element of time in it. So um, I think that would be a good lighthearted movie. It's definitely friendly for, for the whole family. So no uncomfortable scenes. <laughs> <laughs> And Carl likes it, it sounds like. So that's Yeah, no, I thought it was yeah, again, like you were saying, it was kind of scratches in it. Like it was it was a lot it was fun. <laughs> so this has no relation to the movie we were just discussing, but just one that a lot of people um aren't aware of and it kind of uh flew under the radar. Um it was a 
released on Netflix. Uh, it's a movie called Turbo Kid, and uh, I think it came out in 2015, but it's sort of like Stranger Things meets Mad Max, but with more humor. Kind of a, a fun, post-apocalyptic sort of action-adventure that is really entertaining, and uh, it has some over-the-top special effects, and you know some of the acting is a little cheesy, but it's done in an entertaining way. Yeah, that's my recommendation, but not related to anything we were just talking about. <laughs> um, I'll guess I'll go with Guillermo del Toro, like the orphanage. So creepy and so many emotions. And I just remember at the end just bawling like and I usually don't do that at movies. And it was it was really well done. Um, so I guess I'll go with that. Yeah, I hadn't seen I don't know sure, sure I'd even heard of that one before. You told me about it, and I made sure to go and watch it after that. And yeah, it's oof. Yeah, it's it's and kind it's of a creepy. tough watch, but it is good. Yeah, yeah. and it, it like and I watch a lot of horror too, and I was creeped out, and then yeah, so many emotions. It's it's a good one. I will definitely check that out. That's in my wheelhouse. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so this episode, I'm going to recommend another movie that features features a lot of interesting creatures, including a mer person. <laughs> That also stars Richard Jenkins, which is Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, a great movie. So, yeah, he actually plays an extremely funny role in that where he's in charge of a secret facility. So I guess that's all I'll say about that because there could potentially be some more spoilers involved. I went into it more. But um, yeah, was, definitely go check one. that out. Yeah. Now I'm going to try to think of a, a series of events that would lead him to be the same like the same oh, person in both movies. Connect them. Yeah. <laughs> that could explain the obsession with Merman, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, again, Adam, Allie, thank you very much for being on the show and going to watch this movie with us. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, See ya. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. What were you thinking me for? I don't know. I'll see Thank you. you. Thank you. Oh, okay. For outro music, can you play Splish, uh, Splash, I Was Taking a Bath? <laughs> <laughs> or Waterfalls from TLC. <laughs> <laughs>it up thanks so much for joining us we had a great time hope you really enjoyed it tune in next time when we'll be introducing another friend to one of our favorite movies see you then I'll probably have to watch this movie again. <laughs> you don't have to. No <laughs> one's going to make I know you. there's a lot of interesting stuff in it, and I should probably get over <laughs> my feelings. Your the... extreme prejudice towards yeah, my extreme people. Prejudice. Yes. Assume that there's a deleted scene where they're like working on a crossword puzzle <laughs> together. <laughs> Instead like... of, you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, and that establishes, you know, the... <laughs> oh, the in- okay. I thought you were going to say they're working on a crossword instead of. Oh, no, no, no. Like- <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, what I miss? <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> what a relationship. Kara's Academy Award winning film featuring two people working on a crossword puzzle for one hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. And one of them's it. a mer person. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Still better than Crash. <laughs> <laughs>